Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Heartland Franchise Guide, your insider's guide to all things franchising in the local area. I'm Blake Martin, local small business franchise owner and your Heartland Franchise Guy. This is the place for advocacy, resources, and education on all things franchising in the local area and for local entrepreneurs looking to learn more about the franchising industry. For today's episode, speaking of entrepreneurship, I got to say, back when I was in school, when I was in college, it was the hardest 10 years of my life, by the way. (laughs) Back when I was in college, I always wished, why weren't there classes on entrepreneurship? Of course, today, we're fortunate enough that programs like that exist. Did you know that in addition to that, there are programs that specifically focus on learning about franchising in addition to entrepreneurship? That's my intro to our guest here today, Dale Easley with the University of Nebraska, Omaha. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us today. So Dale is the director of the Center for Innovation, Entrepreneurship, and franchising. Franchising. It's Thank a you mouthful. Very much, sir. <laughs> it's CIEF, right? Yep. C-I-E-F yep. and franchising. We'll take that. Thank, thank you for the dramatic edition of franchising. <laughs> you are also, to get your title exactly right, you're a professor of entrepreneurship and strategy at UNO, and you were integral to getting the CIEF program going. Yeah. Right? I, yeah, I basically started it in 2008. Fantastic. So, wow, it's been quite a ride. 13, yeah. 14 yeah, years almost. It's come a long ways. Tell me a little bit, I really want to know about the SEAF program, but first, tell me about your background. What, what led up to this? Um, I, in my earlier career, I was an economist for the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and I had a really interesting job where I interviewed um, companies to get insider pricing for the producer price index. And mm-hmm. so the majority of that was done in small companies because that's the majority of companies mm-hmm. in this country. And I oftentimes was just sitting down talking to business owners and learning how they ran their business. And I just thought it was fascinating. And I wanted a career where I could meet and work with lots of different types of businesses, business owners, and education seemed like one of the paths to that. And so I went and got my PhD at Wisconsin in those subjects. You say and that like, ah, well, you know, yes, I just decided 18 years to. later. And then but, on Wednesday. Yeah, it was a, lo- it was a much longer. <laughs> I wish it was shorter than it was. But um, we... Um, Got, I've been teaching for about 20 years. I started in Ohio, and then I was looking for a job where I could kind of be my own boss, in a sense, as an academic. And uh-huh. so um, there was an opening in, at UNO for the for someone to come run their center, which was hilarious because when I got there, it turns out they just had two classes in entrepreneurship and no center. So um, over the wow. years, we basically just added one new event each year until it grew and grew, and now I have a small staff that helps run a lot of different programs. That's fantastic. That yep. has really exploded. So before I forget, you, you're a professor who practices what he preaches when it comes to entrepreneurship. You've got your own, your, your yeah, own entrepreneurial do. Uh, thread in you, don't you? Yeah. So I, I'd say probably six years ago or, or so, um, you know, I, I had a trajectory in my career as, you know, my last promotion to full professor was coming up. And I was like, what do I, what do I add to my life to make it more interesting? Well, why don't I practice what I preach? Let's see if, if I know what I'm talking about. And um, so I, I stopped putting money in retirement funds and just squirreled it away in, in a checking account until I found an opportunity. Given my age, I'm kind of just like a lot of franchisees. I wanted something 
proven that can move quickly. And yeah. because I'm a professor, I wanted something I had more control over. Um, and I was willing to experiment. So rather than a franchise, I was looking for something that uh, was independent simply so I could do some of the things I wanted as examples for students. So I bought okay. a small independent oil shop that um, at the time um, hadn't changed practices in 40 years, which to make a good point about franchises, the beautiful thing about franchises, they say, here's all the systems, follow this and you'll win. And this is, was a different kind of opportunities like we have no systems and it was my opportunity <laughs> to put them in. And um, we really um, increased it, turned it around quite a bit, went from 34 very negative reviews on Google to over 850 five-star reviews, which has really grown the business and greatly increased the value of it. And um, actually, I did a deal with a UNL graduate. He partnered with me. He runs it. And I'll be selling it to him as part of our agreement in this coming August. Wow. Yeah. So that Coming was full circle. Full circle. And, and still tying it back into being a lifelong <clears throat> educator. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic for examples in class, for sure. Absolutely. And so now I'm just working on the next deal, still under NDA, but hopefully within the year. Um, that'll clear, and that'll be my next hobby for for another three to five years. Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations on all the success. Thanks. Yeah. Let's go back to the CEF program again, Center for Innovation, Entrepreneurship, and Franchising. My first question, not surprisingly, right? It's the Heartland Franchise Guy podcast. How did the franchise piece come into it? Well, uh, franchising, is, in my opinion, is always a critical part of entrepreneurship. It's just another path of. So I, I never kind of separate it, entrepreneurship and franchising in my mind. It's just on a spectrum of things people do to be self-employed and to create their own future for themselves. Um, so I, I had worked with franchises quite a bit. I've, you know consulted with some franchises with different issues, um, always include franchising as part of my curriculum. Um, but uh, the, what brought it into the name of our organization, we had a wonderful alumni from UNO who uh, had worked in franchises. He had taken franchises like um, Play It Against Sport, uh, Play It Against Sam or Play It Against Sports or Once Upon a Child, yep. several, of, several yeah. of those. And they were troubled and he turned them around and really did excellent. And so he uh, wanted to um, support an entrepreneurship center. So he went back to his um, alma mater and he said, I'll, I'll um, make a generous donation um, to support what you do. And in honor of that, since franchising was such a part of his career, I wanted that included. So it wasn't just subsumed by the word entrepreneurship, but it stood out in addition, in a sense to it. Gotcha. That's a really interesting yeah. story. Yeah, we're very grateful. So it's the John Morgan Community Chair in Entrepreneurship that I hold because of that from Mr. John Morgan. That all makes mm -hmm. sense now. Yep. Thank you for the detail. So what do students learn in your program? Yeah, I, you know, and I think that's always interesting for people who, you know, have an intuition that entrepreneurs are kind of born, not made. There's something about them that's different. And mm -hmm. in many cases, that's true. There are people with natural talents that you know they're going to be entrepreneurs from early on in life. But I think a lot of us get the confidence and the knowledge to be entrepreneurs as time goes by and based on our experiences and our circumstances. And in many of those cases, part of what brings the confidence to be an entrepreneur comes from taking educational courses that say, here's the steps, you actually have the capacity to do it, here's a network you can connect to and meet mm -hmm. people who could help you and advise you. And, and so I view it as raising the confidence of students that they could do this. 
Um, and so, you know, you'll take an intro to entrepreneurship to find out. And I walk through all the types, including franchising, of yeah. paths to become an entrepreneur. The next level is more based on startups. And the next class would, you know, walk you through the steps of really taking your idea and laying it out for startup. And then we have a, a ra- range of other things. Uh, social entrepreneurship actually is very interesting to students. They love that, how to do well by doing good in business and doing good things for people through a, a business um, that they would control. Um, and then we have entrepreneurial finance and, you know, um, mm-hmm. a, a range of other kind of very narrow piled higher and deeper courses that help you with the, the more technical aspects of entrepreneurship. So it's quite a range. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So no, we don't have a separate course on franchising, but if uh, you can send me 30 people, I'll uh, make one. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I guess that's, I guess that's your equivalent of throwing down the gauntlet. Yeah, huh? there you go. <laughs> Are there other programs similar to this around the country? Yeah, I, I'd say there's a lot of uh, schools our size or bigger that have decent, um, significant, I should say, entrepreneurship programs. And you can find them, I would say, at any of our peer schools. I would say okay. um, they all run from different quality. And I'm really proud of UNO's because we we have the theoretical learning in the classroom, but we have a lot of applied opportunities. I created a student-run cafe uh, about four years ago, five years ago, that students run and manage and has mm-hmm. actually raised almost $100,000 for student scholarships and oh, travel wow. for students. Um, we acquired the IP of another business that we hope to have students um, grow and sell this coming year. Um, and then real life re- entrepreneurial experiences. Yes, exactly. And I think that works well for the students who attend UNO. They really want to see how it's done, not just learn about it and try and figure it out on their own. Yeah. That is fascinating. So this goes a lot deeper than I realized. What else do you want people to know about this program? People out there in the community? Yeah. So I guess um, there's two programs that I think we've done a great job and that are not very common amongst other programs. And the one that's probably most exciting right now is our uh, student-led venture fund. Typically, student venture funds are found at private schools, fairly elite schools with a lot, of, a lot more available um, money floating around, mm-hmm. um, oftentimes in bigger cities where there's more deal flow of startups. Um, so about four years ago, I started the Maverick Venture Fund, and we used money I've raised from doing all kinds of other events and sponsorships and donations from generous people. And um, we got a local venture capitalist in town, Tom Chapman, to come in and advise and help run that for us. He's done a re- remarkable job. And my current assistant director, Levi Cermak, has just recruited and recruited. And this year we have 30 incoming students, both graduate, undergraduate, business students, and science students, and um, art students from all over campus who are interested in learning about how do you invest in seed stage stage startups. And um, we've got probably over $100,000 invested in eight to 10 startups right now. We're raising a fund of about $2 million that we hope will cover us for the next three to four years of investments. And this is one catalyst, I think, that's not just good for students, but it's good for the startup community. Um, there's yeah. a big gaping hole in the seed stage or pre-seed, right? Um, people want to invest. Once you're making money, you have cash flow. Oh, you want to grow. Here's money. Well, that's great, and that's very important. But there's a lot of opportunities where people, if they had the funds early, 
then they have a chance to test and grow. And oftentimes we make the very first investment, which then gives other investors more confidence based right. on the due diligence that my students have done to make bigger investments. And so it's, it, we've had um, companies go to Techstars and other very um, significant incubators, accelerators in the country after getting investments from our student fund. So the students are taking an active role in managing those seed funds. They, they find the deals. They evaluate the deals. They make recommendations on investing in the deals. Uh, Tom gives advice, but we mostly let them run the show. In fact, they went out and made visits to people in town who were very generous. They recently just raised 100000 more dollars, which is, will cover some of our investments for this nice. year. And um, we're just looking to fill that in up to $2 million. Um, the other part, a future goal of ours is to have a side fund called a limited partnership where uh, outside people just say, here's 50 or 100,000, invest it for me. And so it would be invested alongside our funds. And if it makes money, that's the goal, um, you'd get your returns, just like any other venture fund that you might put money into. Just managing it for them. Yep. Yep. So we're, we're excited about that. We hope that comes to fruition within the year. It's going in a lot of directions. Yeah. Yeah. That's really exciting. What kind of team does it take to manage all of this? Um, well, it's a pretty small team, um, but really on um, the backs of my assistant director, he recruits a number of, we have a handful of um, teaching assistants who help us, you know, coordinate things, et cetera. I would say, though, a lot of the work is done by the students and the team that we have this year in our venture fund. We have some MBA students who have had venture investing experience. So they're really leading the thing along pretty much by themselves. You have students of all ages? Um, mostly um, upperclassmen um, and then graduate students. Gotcha. Yep. But you'd allow a gray hair. Uh, so. If you enroll in our <laughs> MBA program, <laughs> please do. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. What else should we know about the program? Um, well, the program runs lots of different events like um, a pitch contest, a business plan contest. Um, we do a breakthrough weekend event where students come in and spend the weekend um, putting together the business model for a startup and, and then presenting it at the end. Um, those kind of events always need um, commercial sponsors. So we have prize money, but they also, more importantly, need mentors and judges. And so if members of your audience are interested in participating, they can please contact me at my email at UNO, and we'd love to um, hook them up. And especially if you are interested in mentoring students. So for example, we have a program called the Entrepreneurial Living Learning Community. And this program um, brings in freshmen as a cohort, usually eight men and eight women, and they live together in dorms, obviously sex separated, um, but they live together in dorms. They take a cohort class with me and, and other professors. We take them on trips to hot spots like San Francisco or Chicago, mm -hmm. and um, we try to have monthly meetings with members of the community to talk to them about their career options, particularly in entrepreneurship. We have a number of people who own franchises who happily come in and talk to students about their field. Um, and we're always looking for more people who would like to be in contact without a great time commitment, but uh, a great love for advising students. And that would be super helpful. That's very good to know. Yeah. I run into a lot of people like that every day. Fantastic. Yeah. So on, on the side of, oh, by the way, you started to mention your email address. How, how do people get a hold of you, Dale? Um, my email is uh, D for Dale and then easily with two E's, E-E 
S L E Y at unomaha.edu. Gotcha. Just email me anytime. That's great. Okay. If people miss that, then um, they can Google me. I'm the only yeah. easily in town. So you'll you're find in Mammal me. Hall uh, yeah. in, in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, exactly. Right? Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So you touched on this a little bit, but I want to ask the question directly. What what are your expectations of a student? What does a successful student's journey look like through the CEF program from beginning to end? Okay. Well, I would say it's mostly showing up and participating. And I think that's most business people will acknowledge that someone who does that, you're not as concerned that they are a 4.0 student, but rather that they're engaged and they're curious. And so for instance, when we bring in freshmen to, to that living learning community, we expect them to participate and to attend meetings right. and to go on the visits to local companies, et cetera. And then after that, you know, other than classes, um, we have clubs, like we have one of the most award-winning collegiate entrepreneurship clubs. Pick something like that to be engaged in. If, if not that, pick something else. I'd be happy if you joined the, the basket weaving club as long as you are a person who enjoyed meeting other people and networking. So we try to move students into opportunities to meet people in the community. Um, One Million Cups is a weekly meetup on Wednesdays. Right. I've seen you there many times. Just started back up in yeah. Omaha, right? Yep. Yeah. And so um, though we, we like to see students attend some of those meetings and meet the adults who are interested in startups or in self-employment through any other means and, um, and grow that way. And then usually near the end of their time, um, internships, um, working with business owners and seeing what their lives are like, what opportunities they've created for themselves. And with that knowledge, then some students actually take their own business concepts and start them. I'd say the majority take jobs either in the startup community or in other corporate places where they can learn more business skills. A lot of them with the intention, "Eh, three to five years, maybe then I'll be ready, I'll have the idea, or I'll have the opportunity in front of me that's right for me. And I think, you know, startups are great, but they're, they're much higher risk. And so, you know, we certainly encourage students when they have the capital, um, if it interests them, consider, especially early in their career, mm-hmm. franchising simply because it's such a good fit for someone who knows what they want. They want some level of independence. They want some predictable cash flow, but they don't have the depth of business experience um, at that age. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what franchises bring to you is here's the recipe. Don't screw it up. Follow the rules, get the right location, obey it. And success is all but guaranteed, right? I mean, 80%, 90% success rates compared to the inverse of that for startups. Right. Right. (laughs) So I heard you say a lot that, that kind of, dovetails back to you're really encouraging your students to get out there get involved and get comfortable being uncomfortable yeah I think those experiences really make the big difference and I think you know I'm always telling students think what you're going to put on your resume you know if you got a 4.0 that's one line and it might have consumed all your time in college it's where did I meet what did I participate in did I takes a leadership role in any of these organizations Mm -hmm. did i help other people i mean right that's such a winner is showing that you volunteered and that you you care about other people because you can be driven to succeed driven with financial goals all good but if you have that additional element to it that makes uh, a student particularly i think interesting to any employer and improves their chance of success in their own businesses indeed 
Great advice. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I got to ask you one other question. As a professor of entrepreneurship and the director of the CIEF program, what are you reading right now? Uh, I haven't read, I have to be honest, I probably haven't read a business book in a while. I've been having discussions. Because you read all of them. I actually have. (laughs) Here's actually the, um, uh, the game, what's it called? The Game of Money? Um, um, it's a book where the um, person worked in a, a larger organization and t- did a huge turnaround by sharing openly the financial reporting of the company. So different okay. teams within the company could see their performance, and he gamified it so that teams could compete on a friendly basis. And um, I've been working through that with my assistant director because the next business we're buying, we think using tactics like that is going to be especially helpful for Um, improving the efficiency and the growth process of the business. I think it's called the game of money. Okay. But they can just reach out to you at what email address? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dale Easley at D-E-E-S-L-E-Y at unomaha.edu. Dale, thank you so much for joining us today. I really I enjoyed it. it. That went by fast. A very unique perspective, <laughs> as it should be for somebody who is a professor of entrepreneurship and the director of the Center for Innovation, Entrepreneurship, and Franchising. And thank you, Blake. And I, I appreciate the many times you've allowed me to send students to you to get advice, because I definitely have a, students who are interested in franchising, and you're my first referral. It's like, I don't know. Go ask Blake. He'll help you. I enjoy it. It hasn't been that long. Not that (laughs) long since I was in that position. Yeah. I appreciate being able to pay it forward. Thank you. Thank you. And thank all of you for joining us for another episode of the Heartland Franchise Guy. We'll see you here on the next one. A Media Production.